Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the wonderful Charlene Gazelle. Charlene is the founder and director of her own primal wellness coaching business. Charlene trained as a solicitor and worked as an associate at American international law firm, Jones Day. Traveling the world to learn more about health and wellness, Charlene is also a biohacker working as a chief wellness advisor. In addition to all of this she is also a mind and emotional health consultant so a very very warm welcome Charlene thank you so much Rob I am thrilled to be here today with you Uh, well the pleasure is all ours and before we dive into all your amazing projects and experiences and achievements we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking (laughs) podcast which you may know but on the scale of one to ten ten being very real what would you rate the hit tv series suits in terms of its reality so this might come as a shocker i've actually never watched a single episode (laughs) (laughs) honest truth here (laughs) that's a good point so based on that most people say zero and we move swiftly on and i think we should because yeah why not so let's start at the beginning with you though tell us a little bit about your background and journey Sure. Well, my background perhaps is not so original as it's uh, very much the traditional, I wanted to be a lawyer from as far back as I can remember. Uh, my dad was an insurance broker. My favorite playground was his office. And I remember being so little and being like, daddy, daddy, what do you do when you like paperwork? It's like, well, my darling, you become a lawyer. <laughs> so there we go. My, uh, my fate was sealed very early on and I became completely obsessed about it. That's all I could think of. Be joining law school, becoming a lawyer. So I went to live in the US when I was very young. I was um, 16 and a half when I moved to Chicago and I couldn't wait for law school um, because the American system is that you go to uni and then law school, which to me seemed far too long. So I decided to go back to Europe, uh, went to study law in Cambridge, and that was the beginning of the journey. And what a successful journey it has been. And you previously worked as a litigator. Can you tell us more about what inspired you to take that particular route or get experience in that space? Well, such a great question. It's interesting as a question because for me, it's a no brainer in the sense that I can't even think of what a lawyer is, if not a litigator. (laughs) And I don't mean that. Um, It's just to me, there was only litigation. It wasn't even a choice. It was what I wanted to fight. (laughs) 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 That was why I wanted to be a lawyer to resolve conflict, perhaps is a more beautiful way of putting it. But I wanted to represent, to be in an adversarial context, to be the counselor, to be the person that will advise my client and to be resolving a conflict, whether it will be in court or out of court, I just wanted to be involved in conflict resolution. So as soon as I could, I wanted to be in litigation. I did ADR, I did a bit of arbitration, I did adjudication, mediation, but it had to be some kind of conflict resolution. There we go. I I love that when you say, you know, it was the only place to go and the only thing you could see. And I think, yeah, a lot of people, when they think of the law, that's so true. So thanks for for sharing that. And you did train at one of the world's most prominent law firms. So at Jones Day, and you were there for four years. Um, What experiences did you gain from your time there? some of the best training um my team was extraordinary i got exposed to some of the best clients in the industry i was very lucky that i could join um the construction department 
So to me, it was the combination of being able to be a litigator, but also to work in a very tangible space. I really love the idea of working on something that I could see, you know, working on pipelines or contracts that would be involving construction, working on buildings, working with architects, civil engineers. Um, so I had a bit, little bit of a cheat book and civil engineer uh, dictionary by my table to learn all, all about that. And it was fascinating to me. It allowed me to combine my passion for litigation, but also architecture and arts in a way. So uh, I was very grateful to work and I had amazing experience. Yeah. And I must say, you know, you have a, a wonderful background, achieved so much. And, you know, following your time in private practice, you then decided to transform your career. You wanted to serve the legal industry from a different perspective by becoming a coach. So why did you decide to, to become a coach? Talk us through that thought process. Yes, that's a great question, Rob. You see, if I, if I go back through the chronology, I went from being in private practice to being in AI. So I didn't jump from private practice straight into coaching. I took a little bit of a two years period where I wanted to explore different aspects of the law. Yeah. And I did le legal tech and AI. And during that period, it gave me the opportunity to go across the country, go talk to many law firms, speak to lawyers in different capacity. And it also allowed me to assess and realize how real the problem of the health was across the spectrum, whether we're talking junior lawyer, senior lawyer, a big law firm, small law firms. And it allowed me to see that so many lawyers were suffering in silence. The burnout issue was real. I was noticing that it had affected so many aspects of my personal life, my family, my colleagues, my friends. Um, I was witnessing more and more heartbreaking stories around health. Mm. My dad had a heart attack. He had a stroke, both driven from burn burnout and stress, stress induced. And it made me realize, well, perhaps there is a, a bridge that needs to be uh, crossed. Perhaps there is a link that needs to be found between super high level successful law and wellness. Where is that connection? And and I was looking back at my blind side and thought, right, I got extraordinary legal education. I got extraordinary legal training, but I didn't get any self-care training. And I know that may sound silly and basic, but I genuinely didn't know how to look after my health in a way that would be sustainable, how to look into my health in a way that would be running a marathon and not running a sprint and making sure that I could go through my whole career in a way that was sustainable. So I thought, hmm, okay, there is something there. And I wanted to learn everything that I could for my own healing journey, but also to be able to serve the industry that I love so much. Yeah. And you, you do such a tremendous job of, of, of that. And that kind of touches nicely onto what I was going to say next, really, in terms of how and when did you decide to specifically focus on the wellness and health side of things? Because, you, you know, I always say to people, you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, you know, you have to make sure that you put yourself first. You know? So was there, you, you kind of gave some snippets there, but was there a particular time or event or something that happened that you really wanted to sort of channel in on on that wellness and, and health side i think the biggest shock for me was the life and death moment you know going into the hospital after my dad had the stroke seeing him in this state as he was my hero mm. the reason why i wanted to be the professional successful that i became and realizing that actually if you haven't invested in your health your wealth 
is not going to mean that much. Not to say that you have to choose, um, but to say that you do have to make very proactive decision to actively look after your health while making choices that will maximize your wealth potential. And you can't just focus on one and neglect the other because ultimately you are going to pay the price. And that price tag is quite gloomy if you don't do the right thing. Um, and I don't think I would have realized that if it wasn't for the fact that it affected some someone that I love so much, so dearly, so close to my heart. Yeah, no, and thank you for that, that vulnerable, open, authentic share. I think it's, uh, you know, it's really important that you share your journey and you had that experience and you really wanted to proactively do something to create change for, for good to help others. So um, yeah, really, really appreciate you sharing that. And you are also a biohacker. Would you mm. explain what this is exactly? Uh, I love that question. Well, biohacking, put simply, was born in the Silicon Valley. It's the idea of hacking, stepping in, taking action, taking control, being empowered into your own biology. It's about optimizing your internal biology, but also your external environment. It's about gaining insights into the way your physiological your physiology is. So it's about understanding your body better, understanding your mind better, understanding how you can optimize your movement, but also understanding how you can optimize the environment that you live in. So for example, the workstation, the light that is around you, the air that you breathe, the food that you eat, the thoughts that you think, and how you can hack it in a way that is really empowered. The ultimate goal of biohacking is getting self confidence with your health to add years to your life and to add life to your years. <laughs> yeah. And I love that concept. And, you know, just looking around where I am now, I have more light, I have more space and, you know, all these little things. So I really appreciate you, uh, you sharing and kind of giving that definition because there's so many terms and out there, it's, it's really good that you gave us that oversight. So you have really specialized in your field and you go above and beyond as you did in your legal career when you were super successful, you know, particularly you went on to learn more about your own health, which you've touched on. You embarked on a world tour, visiting India, Nepal, Bali, Greece, Indonesia, and many, many more countries. Very jealous, by the way. What did you learn about wellness whilst you were traveling? Oh, such a beautiful question. I learned to look backward as much as I need to look forward. Let me explain, if I may. Working in AI and being quite tech savvy, if I may say so. I had a tendency before my worldwide journey to be very forward focused, to be very much looking into the future, looking into the next AI move, the next robotic solution. And that's perhaps where my biohacking gadget technology enthusiasm stems from. However, one of the biggest lessons that I learned when I was living in India, when I was living in Bali, was that ancestral wisdom, looking backwards, looking at what our ancestors did for million years before we were there, is so powerful. We have so much to learn from science evolutionary, from primal wisdom, from ancestral knowledge, into the way that we can connect deeper with nature, the way that we can make ancestral decisions when it comes to our nutritious uh, our nutrition on a daily basis, um, the way we move as well, adopting primal movement and really re reconnecting with our environment. Because I think one of the side effects of the urban lifestyle that many of us live when working in big city, working in London, working in New York, is that perhaps sometimes we become a bit disconnected to our natural habitat. 
our natural habitat is nature. It's not our flat or our offices. And really putting my, my hand up and saying, I'm very guilty of that for many years when I was working as a lawyer. I did not see the light of day. I was very much an indoor creature. I was working um, in an office. I was staring at a desk. I was sat down and I did not also maximize my nature potential at the weekend, meaning sometimes my recreational habits will involve TV or would involve sitting down and, and being indoors. Um, I love, you know, art and culture and museums. So I have a tendency to go indoors. And what I learn is actually going outside, reconnecting with nature, being cold, being hot, removing your shoes. Those things are incredibly powerful because they make you more resilient. I love that. What a wonderful share. So, and, you know, you touch on so many points. This gets me thinking about all these, these little things that add up that can make a huge impact. And I mentioned before, you've traveled pretty much the world. You know, was there one particular country that stood out to you or a favorite or a, a experience that stuck with you from those travels? Oh, perhaps I will share a story from India. When I first arrived, I went to live in an ashram with monks and I did a silent retreat as well. And so for few listeners that might know, it's very challenging. And I remember the monk that asked me to sit down in silence. And there I was thinking, okay, sitting down in silence. I speak for a living. My words <laughs> are my power. Do not take this away from me. <laughs> not moving was hard enough, but not talking was almost unbearable. And I realized the, 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 the profound nature of silence. And, and I, I think that as, as lawyers, particularly where we think in words, we write all day long, we are on the phone with, with clients. There is a lot of articulation and intellectual gymnastic that operates in a, in a, in a verbal or nonverbal form. There is always chatter going on in our brain and, and, Actually stripping that away for moments and going into a place of silence can be so profound, very co confronting because very uncomfortable. But my life in India taught me to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And to me, that was one of the biggest lessons, you know, to, to dig deep and to see what's underneath the comfort level. I love that. And that's something I talk about all the time with people. You know, if you're not, if you're not growing, you're dying and get comfortable being uncomfortable. I just love it, love it, love it. It's so true. And what a great story because, you know, you've, you've traveled the world, you've seen so many different experiences. So really appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. Time for a quick break from the show. You wouldn't leave a potential client waiting in your office for three days. But what about when it comes to returning potential clients, phone calls, emails, or even web inquiries? If you're not responding rapidly to those who inquire about your firm's services, you could be losing money, losing clients, and affecting your law firm's reputation. Thankfully, there's a resource from our sponsor, Clio, that can help you. Called How to Grow Your Firm with Legal Client Intake. It's a free guide that will show you exactly how and why you should be automating your client intake process. Download your free copy at clio.com forward slash UK forward slash free intake guide. That's clio, C-L-I-O.com forward slash UK forward slash three intake guide. Now back to the show. 
We move on because now you're the founder and director of your own primal wellness coaching business, which I'm a big fan of. But for those of you who don't know, could you tell us a little bit more about your business? Yes, with pleasure. I set up the consultancy and the business in a way that allows me to work on a private basis. So I work with associates, partners, mostly in the legal sector, but also in the banking sector or insurance sector, some predominantly professional services um, that are experiencing burnout or recognizing that they're perhaps on the way to burnout and they want to take action to prevent this. Um, and I also work with businesses, law firms, consultancy, fintechs and banks to provide workshop solutions to empower the employees, either are company-based or firm-wide based, to understand better about self-care, wellness. I do it in a way that really focuses on peak performance. So I look at wellness in the context of performance at work when we are professional, successful, high conscientious worker, type A, workaholic, if I may say so, <laughs> for a few of us at least, <laughs> maybe you will identify with this. Um, it is really important to look at wellness in the context of work because it's such a back big part of our identity. What I'm not a big fan of are wellness solutions that do not fit well with a corporate schedule because the reality is we do what we do and we want to do it well and we want to be successful. And yes, many of us need to build quite a lot of hours. Um, we have, you know, important KPIs to fulfill. So it's important to have wellness solutions that feel that they're appropriately carved into the corporate context. I see too many wellness coaches give blanket solution that are not appropriate in a corporate setting. Yeah, no. And again, it's, it's such wonderful advice because I know you do give such, you know, dedicated support and, you know, because you have traveled, you have so much experience and that again leads nicely onto my, my next question. How do you incorporate what you have learned whilst traveling around the world into your business to assist your clients from specifically a legal background, given that you have a good understanding of the, the legal industry? Mm. I really look into this hybrid modality of ancestral wisdom with biohacking. So the way I look at all the solutions that I offer or propose is the minimum effective dose. What is the minimum effective dose of any wellness solution that if done consistently will make a profound amount of a difference? I very much look at ROI when it comes to self-care. So my my passion is to make sure that I see results and I see a solution for my clients when the solution is rolled out on a consistent basis in their habits, their lifestyle, and we see results quickly but sustainably. I don't like the idea of having an intervention, doing a lot of great new things, and then giving it all up. I quite like the idea of a slow, consistent burner, if I may say so, profound changes and small incremental daily habit optimization because these compound into great changes. It's a little bit like an investment, you know, you invest small and little, but often and consistently, and then you're going to see great return. Yeah. And I love how you've articulated that because you're right. It is, it is habits. It's those little things. And I also just wanted to, to segue a little bit because I know you and I have done some Instagram lives together with um, people in the legal community, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And, you know, sticking with those habits, you said something that really stuck with me. You talked about from a, a sort of wellness and health perspective, the piggy bank of steps and, and sort of what that, that, that sort of looks like. So could you explain 
explain to people because I was just mesmerized when you talked about that on Instagram because a lot of us who do have work, you know, we're stuck at our desks. We probably feel guilty. We're not moving enough in the weeks. Could you maybe just talk to a little bit more about what that is and how that works? With pleasure. So the idea, perhaps, if I go back a little bit, is it's a fundamental biohacking principle. Whatever you want to hack, you need to track. It's a little bit like if you want to manage it, you need to know it. You need to understand it. Going back to your investment, if you want to make a wise investment decision, you need to know what the markets are looking like. Same for your health. If you want to make an empowered decision, you need to get a little bit of insider knowledge into your own body. So you need to look inwards and see what's going on with your physiology. So ideally, we should aim to walk 10,000 steps a day. That's a really good measure to optimize our metabolism, to look after our health proactively, but also our mental health because walking has a huge positive impact on our mental and physical health as well as emotional health. Now, 10,000 steps a day might seem a little overwhelming for someone working in an office who has a lot of meeting, back-to-back office meeting or back-to-back calls. So what I like to say is look at it on a weekly basis and set up a a bank account whereby you make a commitment to put in 70,000 steps a week into that bank account. And then at the weekend, you have a saving account. You can save and deposit more steps into it. Then from Monday to Friday, you have a credit card and you can effectively Use your credit card if you don't have enough cash into your deposit account. All that matters is that at the end of the seven days, you have a total number of 70,000 steps. I love that. And that's why I wanted you to, to share that with our listeners, because I think it's brilliant. And it's a great way of looking at it and not sort of feeling hard on yourself if you've had a week from hell where you haven't just been able to, for whatever reason, and you do have that sort of weekend to, to catch up or whatever it might be. So thank you so much. And, you know, your clients really do see deep, life-changing transformation in their health and adopt changes to on a permanent basis in terms of their lifestyle and reap all the benefits, which is great. Could you, you touched on it, but tell us just a little bit more about your programs and workshops and what they typically look like thank you for asking when i'm working with my clients on an individual basis i really like to do a bit of an emotional landscape assessment meaning i like to look at what lies underneath oftentimes when someone comes to me and says oh i'm burnt out or i'm about to burn out that's what i call the tip of the iceberg my, my role as a wellness consultant and well-being coach is to have a bit of an investigative look and take a scuba diving journey and see what's underneath the iceberg and bring that up to the surface. And oftentimes what's underneath that iceberg is an accumulation of negative repetitive pattern of emotional overload. Typically, the most common one are guilt. Guilt is a huge one when it comes to burnout. Guilt when I work because I should be with my family and I use the word should very specifically here and guilt when I don't work because I should be billing instead. So guilt is a huge one. Fast forward guilt over many, many years of experiencing it and you have a burnout surfacing. Then there is shame. Shame that I can't talk openly about the way I feel because I am a senior partner, because I am a very successful person, because I can't talk to my spouse, because my spouse is going to worry about the mortgage, is going to worry about the baby on the way, and shame that I don't know if I can 
tell my junior team leader that I'm not feeling well today and I can't be vulnerable because I need to be seen as a role leader. So this is a very important and often overlooked emotional landscape that my clients deal with. And often what they say when they're entering into the coaching space with me is this is actually the only safe space that I can experience because I can't be that vulnerable with HR. I can't be that vulnerable with my spouse and I can't be that vulnerable with my friends because of fear. And there we go to the other big emotional overload, fear. And oftentimes we think that fear is overrated because we live in a very safe environment. We're not going to be eaten up by a tiger. However, that's not to say that we don't experience, experience a whole lot of fear on a daily basis. Fear and overwhelm go hand in hand. And anxiety is a side effect of fear that is often unexpressed and bottled up. And fear can be the fear of losing the position, the fear of disappointing a client, the fear of not being good enough. Then you add that on to the slight imposter syndrome with perfectionism, with a little bit tougher top up of people pleasing. You shake it all up, you add a type A personality and you've got a burnout in the making. Yeah. Wow. I've just fascinated listening to you there because that's going to trigger. And, you know, a lot of people listening to that, you know, there's a lot you can, you can resonate with and there's such a need for what you do to alleviate a lot of those fears that people have all that built up stress or anxiety or worry, or like you say, not feeling that they can reach out to significant others and, and people. So really appreciate you highlighting that. And obviously where you come into your own to, to really support those people very much in need. And, and talking of need, do you think Think there is a significant need for legal professionals to learn the importance of wellness and if so why absolutely robin i would like to say that when it comes to the importance of wellness my passion lies in educating the current generation but also the newer generation hence my work with law school and law student because i believe that if we get those habits implemented and integrated earlier on in our legal career, then we come empowered. We have more resources, more tools in our toolbox. I think of self-care as a little bit of a Mary Poppins bag, right? We want to have a many, as many random items in that bag. And when we need something, we look into the bag and we find that we have more tools in our toolbox. And, and the more tools you learn, the more empowered you feel. And the earlier you learn them, the better it is. Now, that's not to say that the ship has sailed. If you are a very professional, very senior leader in the legal industry, and it's never too late to learn those tools, but I am very passionate about learning them as early as possible. Yeah. And it's getting into habits early on that are good for you rather than bad habits and then trying to transform them around. So uh, I, I agree. And you have been dubbed the sole solicitor. So if I can get my words out, which I think is cool, but could you explain how this name came about? From one of my clients, because we were doing some work around identity and this specific client was really struggling with the identity piece. Um, I'll call him John. His name was not John for <laughs> confidentiality reason. John was really struggling um, because he was at a point of his legal career where his whole identity was around being a lawyer. That's what he knew best. That's what he identified as. And then the question was, but why? But why and who for? And what is the purpose behind what I do? And what I like to work with my clients is going through what I call the neurological level of change. So I bring them from a place of what do I do? How do I do it? Why do I do it? 
who do I do it for? And what is the purpose underlying what I do? What is the legacy I want to leave? What is the whom? Whom do I want to serve? And what is going to be left when I'm gone? What is the legacy piece? You know, what is that identity beyond the lawyering? And this is particularly important to look at when you're approaching retirement as well, because if you haven't done that work during your working days and your working careers and you're approaching retirement, then who are you? Who are you besides and beyond the law? Is the law your identity or is it your occupation? Is it a bit of both? But have you asked yourself the question and have you reflected on who and why? Um, and this work has gotten me the nickname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's such a, you know, it's, it's such an apt nickname for you. And I think it, it makes so much sense. And, you know, I'm just thinking here when I'm, when I'm, you know, as you know, we do legal recruitment for law firms all around the world. And, you know, a common question I just asked to, to lawyers is, what do you want? You know, what is it that you want? And you know what? Nine times out of 10, most people just look blank, you know? And, and I think sometimes you really need to have those internal conversations. Why did you want to become a lawyer? Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, what is your purpose of, of, of being on this, this planet? What is that legacy that you were touching on there? Because, you know, for myself, that's something that's important to me. And I always say to people, I'm not just building another legal recruitment database. I'm building a community. I want to leave a legacy that has an impact and bring such wonderful speakers like yourself onto our Legally Speaking podcast to educate the audiences and help people. And, you know, that for me is, is, is part of the legacy I'd like to live. So I really like that you've kind of shared that and also broken so many things down in digestible bite-sized content so people can process this. And I'd strongly urge people to go back and re-listen to this whole episode because you've been dropping gems throughout. And on that, Charlene, you are also the chief wellness advisor for an award-winning innovation studio team and technology firm. So what does your role entail as a wellness advisor? My role entails giving solutions that are corporate friendly. So particularly with this team, we've deployed a solution that will be AI based. So developing uh, AI coach, uh, whereby employees can have access to coaching on demand wellness solution uh, delivered in an AI format. So that's really where I can um, put together my passion for wellness and my passion for tech together and make sure that we give access to this wellness companionship, having a wellness ally, a bit of a wellness cheerleader into your pocket. Yeah. And again, you know, it's amazing how you do all this and fit it all in, but you know, what does it mean being a wellness advisor to you personally? Being someone that can be trusted, being a safe container. Um, a lot of the time I do the work that I do and, you know, for my client is, is a release, is a time where they can be themselves, when they can take the mask off. As lawyers, we are very good performers, and I mean that in a positive way. I really mean performing as in, you know, the act of excelling at what we do. But that performance comes at a cost, and we often put a mask on as lawyers. And and it can be very, very hard to learn how to remove it and to know what's underneath that mask and to feel safe without it. 
And I like to think that I'm a bit of a mask remover whisperer <laughs> and create a safe space for my client to remove that mask and see what's underneath. Yeah. And the word that you, you use that stuck with me is to be trusted because, you know, if people trust you, they are going to remove that mask and they're going to feel safe spaces and have those open conversations. So what a wonderful answer. And you're also a mind and emotional health consultant at Par London, I believe. So your role there involves providing anti-aging and rejuvenation lifestyle plans. Why do you think it's important for lawyers to focus on their lifestyle and not just their career? Because your lifestyle impacts how good you're going to be a lawyer for. If we don't look after our health proactively, it's worse than leaving money on the table. You will effectively diminish your lawyering potential. Looking after your health proactively is a competitive advantage for the advancement of your career. And that cannot be underestimated because if we don't proactively look into our health, our cognitive performance, our metabolic health will be impacted and that will impact our lawyering ability. Yeah, fab fabulous answer. And and finally, before we look to, to, to wrap up today's discussion, which I've absolutely loved, what advice would you give to lawyers or those in the legal profession wanting to focus more on their well-being? I would say think of your legal career as a marathon and ask yourself whether you're running it in sprint mode. If you are, just know that just like a sprinter will get injured if they were trying to run a marathon at that pace you might too get injured. And just because a burnout is not as visible as a strained ankle or a broken leg, it's not less real. Yeah, it's so, so true. Just because it might be intangible, it's equally just, if not more important of looking after yourself. So Charlene, I absolutely love today. If our listeners, which I'm sure they will, would like to learn more about your wellness coaching and consulting business, what's the best way for them to contact you? Please feel free to shout out various social media handles, website links, and we'll also make sure we share them with this episode for you too. Oh, thank you, Rob. My website and my LinkedIn are a great place to find me. <laughs> great stuff. So make sure you definitely check out all of her social media handles and particularly on LinkedIn because you provide such thought-provoking content as well. And Charlene, I've loved hosting you today. You're such an inspiration. You regularly feature in the Financial Times, all these things. You've made time for us today. So we really, really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. But from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast for now, over and out. This week's review comes from Adam North. Great, informative podcast. Five stars. I love the Legally Speaking podcast. I feel it finds the balance between being informative and lighthearted really well. Great guests within the legal sector as well. Thank you so much, Adam. We really appreciate all your kind words from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast. Thanks a million once again. <laughs> <laughs>